Andrew McDonald, you are the Director of Marketing and Communications at Wanaskewin Heritage Park, just north of lovely Saskatoon, Saskatchewan in Canada. Andrew, thank you so much for taking the time today to join me on the Fact Up podcast. My pleasure, Jim. Thanks so much for having me. I recently traveled to Saskatoon and visited this incredible park, and I, I wanted others to get the chance to learn more about it and visit it for themselves one day. But first things first, what is the Heritage Park all about and why should people want to visit? You know, I've been working at the park for about 12 years, and um, I think it was a, an employee who worked here many years ago, uh, about a decade ago, who had said the point of the park, the purpose of this park is for us to be a mirror reflection of the valley. So we're situated right next to the Opimahau Valley. This is where every nation on the Northern Plains has gathered for over 6,400 years. So they've come there for ceremony, they've come there for trade, they've come there for hunting. And of course, culture comes from all of this, right? So expressions of art, expressions of uh, culinary expressions, um, uh, you name it. That's what we intend on showcasing here within the building and certainly out on the trails. So uh, inside the building here, we've got an art gallery, we've got a restaurant, we've got you know a gift shop, exhibits, all the things that you would expect to, to see in a cultural site, a cultural center. And then outside, uh, there's about seven kilometers of hiking trails. Each one of these trails takes you by uh, these different kind of uh, points of interest. So for example, um, a bison jump, uh, there's two bison jumps here at the park. There's uh, a medicine wheel. So all these little stories are being shared with you as you're out walking the land um, that has been occupied for more than 6,400 years since time in, in, in memorial. You know, I'm a big fan of bringing people together, be it through travel experiences, food, cultural. Uh, this is, I mean, I hate the term one-stop shop, but this is really it. Yeah, that's that's it, is that the the sneaky part about this is that no matter what your passion might be, if it, if it is food, you know, say you're a foodie, you come to the park because you'd like to taste bison or you want to try wild rice or, or fresh bannock, you can do that. But there's all these other little things like um, uh, you can learn about archaeology here. You can learn about um, uh, fine art beading. You can learn about, um, you know, um, how people were able to survive and thrive off the land. All those little things are these little tidbits that you go home with, and it sends you on these other uh, paths of interest as you're as you're here, and makes you want to then come back and bring back others with you. You know, for non-history buffs, do they become history and culture buffs as soon as they visit? Well, that's it. I, I think it's it's uh, no longer are you. Is it kind of like you know you're standing behind plexiglass and kind of reading placards? This is hands-on experiences. We do have certainly those exhibits that you can walk through and enjoy on your own. But to me, the, the really amazing part about the park is coming and hearing those stories as told by our guides. That's the best experience. So uh, for me as a non-Indigenous person, I grew up in Saskatoon, for me to walk the same program again and again and again, but do it with a different guide. You're hearing different stories every time. You're hearing about things that their mushroom or their kookum has shared with them. And it just makes it that much more personal and impactful. Um, I mean, you're you're doing hands-on learning. You're doing land-based learning. And to, it's fascinating every time. Is it a first-time visit kind of experience every time you visit? 
because no, it's so different? That's what I've heard. Yeah. So, so like our art galleries are changing all the time. Our programs are changing. We do have kind of the staples, right? Like a program, for example, like our TP raising program, that one is a staple. We'll have that forever. That was a gift that uh, from one of our elders. That was a teaching that was shared with us. That'll be here, you know, for forever. The, um, these other programs and ways of interpretation and experiences that you can have out here, that's changing all the time. And so it makes it really, um, makes it really dynamic. I think even for people who live very close to us, you know, as you mentioned, uh, you know, we're five minutes from Saskatoon, those people to come out, you know, every couple months and see what's new, what, what are the new exhibits? What are some discoveries that have happened here too? That's really fascinating. So often when I personally visit places uh, of immense importance in, in human you know, history, human evolution, human migration, I, I sense an air, call me crazy, but I sense an air about the place. Um, I like to call it a, a, a intangible tangibility. Do yeah. you hear that from guests, like that something comes over them when they're there? It is fascinating to hear other people's impressions um, who are from all over the globe. So we have books and books and books, these guest books that we've been using for, you know, 31 years now. And unprompted, someone from Sweden will say, there's something here, exactly what you just mentioned. There's a, there's a feeling, there's a peacefulness, there's a calmness. And that same thing will be uh, expressed by someone from China or someone from from Japan or you name it. It is this one thing that permeates everything here is the one thing that you can't touch. You can't qualify it. You can't quantify it. It's just a feeling. And I think that speaks to, I mean, Wanuskewin, the name itself, this is an old Cree language word. I've been told that means... Um, seeking peace of mind or like sanctuary. Um, this is a place where um, there is a like this peaceful nature to it. And so, um, as you say, it's something that's just um, hard to describe, but it's just a feeling. Oh, it's an amazing. Like, I really, really encourage people to get there. Um, you know, it, it, I, I felt it um, and and it's hard to put into words. So when you're talking about um, guests writing down uh, as a writer myself I, I would have a hard time describing that in words mm. um, or I would need several pages to be able to uh, you know get my racing mind to narrow it down yeah. <laughs> of what I thought yeah. what I felt uh, yeah. so it, it speaks volumes obviously I'll talk about the significance of the site from the indigenous point of view are there special ceremonies and events that go on uh, throughout the year to mark its importance and if so, are visitors welcome to experience that for themselves? Sure. So, so again, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a non-Indigenous person working here at the park. So I've been so fortunate. I've had so many people that, um, you know, share with me, teach me, kind of bring me along um, um, that I, I really feel fortunate to be able to work with some really uh, knowledgeable people, passionate people, but really that level of generosity and kind of um, willingness to share is just been, to be frank, it's, it's changed my life. Um, again, it's, it's about 12 years that I've been here and just 
the opportunities to learn, the opportunities to kind of remove those blinders, right, and better understand um, the better understand where it is that I live. Um, that's been a big, um, I think one of the kind of biggest uh, gifts that I've gotten from working here at the park. So yes, this is recognized as a, as a sacred site. Um, there are ceremonies that happen here. Um, this is actually one of the reasons we, we don't serve alcohol here at the park. So that's actually one of the things that the, the elders really wanted is to, um, the, the original elders that helped found the park, they really wanted this to remain as kind of like a, a clean and pristine place. Um, and alcohol doesn't allow that. And so um, that was their you know, uh, impression from the get-go was that for this place to remain kind of uh, remain um, with integrity and authenticity, um, um, they wanted this place to be a site where you could hold ceremony here. So um, we do, for example, and we'll do it for um, like with guests to participate in a smudge ceremony. So the way that this has been explained to me is that um, there's a number of different things that could be burned in. Uh, um, uh, we use like a metal pan or it could be a shell um, uh, to burn either sweet grass or sage or some of the medicines that grow here. Um, and you're wafting the smoke up over yourself. And uh, again, the way that it's been explained to me, um, we'll have to do a follow-up podcast with one of our staff to kind of uh, explain it a little bit better. But um, um, this is a way of cleansing yourself and preparing yourself for the day. Um, and so. Um, this is a, a great way to then be able to enter to um, art spaces or enter a meeting or even a conversation like today and do so with good intentions. Um, and it allows you to um, really kind of speak from the heart and be able to get to the matter at hand and leave all that other kind of baggage at the door. You can enter things in a good way. It's way that's the way it was explained to me. And if, if someone has not taken part in a smudge ceremony, I, I really recommend you go in uh, and, and experience that. It is it is magical. It is, I would say, even mythical. Uh, it, it is transcendent as well. I think that's a pretty good explanation. Uh, you know, it's hard to describe, uh, but um, it, it is very much a, a lovely ceremony. Very much lovely. What significance, you know, what role does one Skewin play when it comes to the bigger, you know, historical, social, cultural, even political picture in Canada? Well, um, our site is, um, we're a registered charity. Uh, so we're a nonprofit. And so we're not a federal park. We're not a municipal park. We're not a provincial park. We are born out of an act of the government of Saskatchewan. So we have a board that we answer to. And then we also have an elders advisory council as well that we work with just to 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 advise us on some of these you know bigger issues make sure that we're on side with protocol and uh tradition and so they help advise us on uh, all those kinds of issues our role here uh, our official mission is that we are showcasing um and celebrating the evolving cultures of the northern plains so this valley as i described before this is where every single nation has come over the last 6,400 years. So we are telling those stories, we're celebrating those stories, but then also we are um, celebrating post-contact as well, cultures, so Métis culture here, we, we celebrate at the park as well. So 
our duty is to be representative of all those different nations. Our duty is to, um, uh, I guess my role here, I can speak about myself personally, is that uh, my role here is to uh, put people in places to win. So if it's uh, a guide or if it's uh, one of our program leaders or it's a um, our gallery curator, um, elders, dancers, you know, uh, our staff that works here, um, our CEO for that matter, um, I my job is to um, kind of put put them in in contact with uh, media um, to uh, showcase this place and all the beauty that it has. That's my job. So I'll work with our um, our marketing team of two, uh, and uh, we will um, um, we just aim to to bring this to a larger audience. And for the most part, I think. Plains culture is uh, largely unknown, um, even in Canada, let alone a around the world. So um, this is um, that's why we have partnered up with um, and created this thing called Kichiota. Um, Kichiota is a partnership with Beardy's Okamesis First Nation, as well as Whitecap Dakota First Nation. And this is Canada's first Indigenous tourism corridor. Um, so the idea here being that you can now have a multi-day, multicultural experience. Um, Dakota culture, Cree culture, and then of course at Wanuskewin, we represent all the Northern Plains cultures. So that's the idea. Um, Whitecap has a beautiful new hotel, 150 room hotel, golf course, casino, but then they also have these adventure tours, uh, guided adventure tours. And um, uh, Beardies is, uh, has a tourism entity called Pamiska that's all been developed over the last couple of years. They are a couple of months away from being live. And this these kind of entities working together allows us to give guests this opportunity to stay at the hotel, but then travel out to all these different destinations and really immerse yourself in these all the beauty that that uh, Northern Plains culture has to offer. And ultimately to unite people on a global scale to experience something that impacts That's it. everybody. That's it. Right. Yeah. That's it. I think, I think I'm sure you would agree with this is that I think tourism is uh, the biggest demystifier, right? So if there's any prejudice or stereotypes, this just takes down those walls. This, um, this fosters learning, this fosters sharing, this fosters tourism is just such a wonderful tool to be able to do that. And, um, ultimately, I think I think uh, I could be a little bit biased here, but I think tourism really is that's part of the the beauty of it, and I think why a lot of um, like-minded folks kind of come together is that um, we've got your location has something fantastic to share. I feel like Wanuskewit has something fantastic to share, and we want to work through our our tourism partners to be able to broadcast that to the rest of the world. Couldn't have said it better. Uh, I, I feel like it's uh, better late than never, but there are certain, I guess, not to get political, but I feel like there's a lot of political entities that found that out only because we had a pandemic uh, yeah. and, and didn't realize that the impact of tourism and the importance of tourism travelers as opposed to tourists who are there for the reasons of learning and enhancing and right. understanding and and uh, and reciprocating those emotions back to where they are going to. That's right. Right. That's right. Yeah. You mentioned a lot of experiences already with the hiking trails and 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 such, but talk about those teepee sleepovers that guests can uh, can take advantage of as well. 
Yeah, so uh, this TV sleepover program we've had for a number of years, um, very uh, kind of a bare bones experience where you come to the park and and uh, you can spend the night in a teepee. It would be up to you, however, to bring all your gear and all that. We have heard from our guests that there are so many people, especially folks coming from uh, traveling from a long distance away. Of course, they wouldn't have sleeping bags and cots and and uh, pillows and all that kind of stuff. We provide that now. So we have this uh, more deluxe teepee sleepover experience. Um, you are uh, having a bison stew for dinner that's cooked over a campfire. You are uh, provided with everything that you would need. Programming is available. Like I think um, the, the beauty of this is this is not just a matter of like plunking down your bags and, oh, I'm sleeping in a teepee, that's it. We want to give you context. We want to give you appreciation for where it is that you're staying, right? So um, the park after dark, just there's just something, there's that word intangible again, but there's this, this something uh, uh, about being here, thinking about, well, what would, what would have things have looked like a thousand years ago or 2000 years ago or 6,000 years ago? Like it, you can't help but start to, your mind starts to wander about these things and just what, what role would I have played, you know, in the community? And, and um, it's just really fascinating to hear about this amazing culture that is uh, certainly we, we talk a lot about history here. We talk a lot about, um, uh, you know, traditions, but it's a really important distinction that, yes, we talk about all that, but we also showcase what's happening modern day. Who are some of the, the modern day movers and shakers that are doing some amazing work? We want to celebrate those people as well and tell like some contemporary stories as well. So you'll see that in our art galleries, you'll see that in our programming, you'll see that in our, in our restaurants as well. Um, one quick example of that um, is the park has been the site of Canada's longest running archaeological dig for over 40 years. I think we're up to 44 years now. And um, the point I've come to find out, I'm not an archaeology major, but the point of uh, doing archaeology in an area is to get the flavor of what that area was used for. So was this a campsite? Was this a bison jump? Was this a... And so um, using their skills and abilities, they will be able to determine what a site was used for. And then it's, okay, now you move on to the next site and do it all over again. We were... Um, this site is very unusual because there are so many of those archeological features that are in such close proximity to one another. So uh, for example, there's two bison jumps here. There's a medicine wheel, there is teepee rings, um, all of these things within like a 10 minute walk of one another. <laughs> so to have these items or these, these features um, on a prairie landscape, okay, that's usual, you would expect that, but to be in such close, close proximity, no way. So our archaeological record was fairly complete, and we are now in the process of writing our application for UNESCO World Heritage designation. Mm -hmm. So it really is kind of synthesizing that 40 plus years of archaeological record. Um, and we have conversations with elders or kind of painting this picture and putting this, this draft all together. And so 
in the summer of um, the pandemic, so this is August of 2020, the building has recently undergone a major renovation. And so it was, we decided at that time, because of the pandemic and because of construction, we're going to close the building to the public. And so nobody's here. And um, it's just our um, chief archaeologist here and our bison manager who are working out in the bison paddock. And they fixed a water bowl that wasn't working and they're kind of standing around chatting afterwards. And the chief archaeologist looks down and sees this little strip of rock that's protruding from the ground. And on that rock, there's these scratches across the top. Um, most people, and, and actually, I think it was Dr. Walker's first impression that, well, this is, you know, farming implement. This used to be farmed fields out here. And so probably an old tool, you know, scratched the, uh, the surface of this. And then he starts looking a little bit more and uncovering a little bit more. And no, 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 this is actually too um, imperfect. Those lines are a little bit uh, shaky. And so he gets down and uncovers that this little strip of rock is actually about a three foot boulder wow. and on that boulder there is a it's called a bison rib stone so right down the center is a uh, vertebrae and then out the sides is the ribs of a bison this is a ceremonial piece this is something that would um would be part of um you know uh, a feature in a ceremony and in the middle of this carving on there on this petroglyph is a uh, an elongated kind of triangle with horns and a little tail it's like a bison spirit figure that's on there absolutely incredible like i say 40 some years tens of thousands of hours of archaeological surveying out here hundreds of thousands of guests these have never been seen before we thought to find a petroglyph that missing the one missing feature in our archaeological record uh, so you can look at it from a Western science point of view, but also um, from um, uh, culture, history. Um, this is a, a ceremonial piece, too. That's incredible. What was found next to that, however, is the tool that was used to carve it. Wow. And so so how do we know that this it's the little thing like like this by this, uh, maybe six inches by three inches fits perfectly in the palm of your hand? Well. That was measured under a microscope, and the cutting edge of that tool fits like a hand in glove with the grooves that are on that bison ribstone. So, again, according to archaeologists here, you will find uh, you will often find broken tools left behind. You will often find um, you know broken arrowheads or bison bones, like things like that that have been left behind, tossed away. But you never find a tool right next to the item that uh, it made, right? Uh, so perfectly preserved. So incredible, unbelievable, amazing. In the next few days, however, there's more. Three, three more <laughs> petroglyphs were found. Wow. So, so one of them is as small as a grapefruit and one of them is as big as a small car. Um, we, of course, went to the elders started to talk about this and, and share with them. And in this discussion, it became very clear what had happened here was that it was not an archaeologist going out and looking for these things. It was the bison revealing them to us by 
munching on the vegetation by scratching the earth, rolling and making like these little dust baths. They are the ones that unveil these, uh, these petroglyphs to us. Absolutely amazing. But the story continues in that um, all of these are were found just west of the building, perfectly in line with a bison jump. So um, they're about 500 meters from a bison jump that's on the opposite side of Wanuskewin's building, where our Newo Asiniak jump is. Newo Asiniak is a Cree word that um, uh, was given to this jump in 1982. Uh, it was named Newo Asiniak. The direct translation of Cree to English is four stones. Hmm. 1982. This jump is named Four Stones, and then 2020, Four Stones are found perfectly aligned with those. You uh, can't write. You can't make that up. <laughs> Amazing! It, it really is, and and our our elders often talk about this site is this site is alive. This is not a, a um, this is not stagnant. Again, we were talking about you know, yes, observing uh, traditions and culture, and and definitely. Uh, celebrating that, but this is evolving. This is this story is not done being written by any stretch, and so these little miracles that have happened really help illustrate that. You know, we only have a few minutes left, but I, I wanted to um, get your um, get you to expand a bit because you've mentioned the bison jump quite a bit. And for those who aren't familiar, what is a bison jump, and how important was it to reintroduce bison to this region? Yeah, so. Um, bison are central to life on the plains. This is food, clothing, shelter, but then this is also um, uh, ceremonial. Uh, bison are a part of ceremony as well. Um, the way that I've had it described is that um, there's a word called Wagotuin, which means uh, like uh, kinship. So um, bison are viewed almost as being kin to uh, plains cultures here. Um, life depended on bison. So these bison jumps that we have here are an ingenious way of, um, sorry, bison jumps, not just here, but everywhere, mm -hmm. are an ingenious way of, um, of hunting. So it would uh, start with a, a young man who's, who's dressed in a bison robe. He would cover himself in bison fat. He's probably 12, 13 years old. He would lead bison he would work his way into the herd, then lead the bison to the mouth of a set of rocks that are all set up in kind of like a funnel shape. At the right time, hunters hiding in behind bushes and rocks and shrubs would jump up and start a stampede. And they would stampede the bison up and over a cliff. So it was a, a really great way of getting all your, your nutrients, again, your clothing, your shelter, all at one time and you can um and so you're you're getting say like uh like 15 20 animals all at one time and this is enough to last you for the winter these sites are um you can see uh especially here in, in saskatchewan where there's not a lot of opportunities for steep cliffs like that this is one of those features that explains why um why people would have come here to this site because you have 
access to those steep cliffs. You have access to the river. You have, it's a very central location where we are as well. Um, um, it's speaking, uh, you know, in, uh, in regards to North America. And so it's a, uh, of course, it makes sense that people would have gathered here for this long. And so those bison jumps were really, uh, um, were a really important economic, but also um, a social um, thing that would have gathered people here as well. Fascinating. I, <laughs> just fascinating because you, you look at the current condition of kind of where we're going as a people and we lose it when we don't have Wi-Fi, uh, much less <laughs> being able to now corral a, a group of 15, 20 bison to be able to now. Anyway, I, I won't go. It's fascinating. Um, finally, you mentioned UNESCO. You know, it became a, a national historic site in the 80s, Juan uh, But talk about the importance of of it becoming a UNESCO World Heritage Site by mid, by I guess by 2025. Yeah. So actually, we're we're looking at uh, uh, 2026, give or take, if everything kind of goes according to plan. The idea here is when you get that UNESCO designation you can say unequivocally that your site is completely unique in the world. So I used to live in Waddington Lakes National Park, for example, and this is where the prairies meet the Rockies. Right there in that soil grows these wildflowers that you can't find anywhere else in the world. Um, this is a, a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Here in Saskatchewan, there are plenty of those sites that are completely unique. However, we don't have any UNESCO sites yet. We intend on being the first. And the, the crux of what we're talking about is that, again, because it's every nation that we've gathered here over that past 6,400 years, is that no other site can kind of say that or claim that is uh, that they would have that kind of visitation over that length of, of time. So from a, uh, a cultural point of view, what an amazing way to showcase to the globe that the United Nations recognizes your site. So we're very excited about that. But also from a um, from a, like an awareness of the beauty of the prairies and plains and and all that we have to offer here. To me, that UNESCO designation is. Um, helps to almost kind of like uh, vouch for you that yes, this site is worth traveling to. This site is worth learning more about. And uh, so we're very excited about that. We would be only the, the um, you know, Alberta has a few, Manitoba has one that uh, just got their designation in 2017 called Piwa Chuanaki. Mm -hmm. But we would be the first in Saskatchewan. So we're very excited about that. And then of course, all of the, the fanfare and visitation that comes after that. That's part of it. The other part is us being able to have protection for this site. Um, we're a couple minutes from Saskatoon, um, but of course we would like to have a, a big buffer around uh, Canada's, I think it's the second fastest growing city in the country. And uh, just to ensure that we're able to maintain the, that view shed and those soundscapes, right? And and preserve the integrity of this site. Uh, not many cities in the world that have bison uh, kind of right in the heart of their city. So as Saskatoon continues to grow north, um, I definitely think that that's, uh, that's what's going to happen here. 
Andrew McDonald, you are the Director of Marketing and Communications at Wanaskewin Heritage Park, just north of Saskatoon, Saskatchewan here in Canada. It, it, it's an enlightening experience to talk to you. It was a pleasure meeting you over the summer. I wanted to get you on to talk uh, about this amazing place with uh, several elements of tangible intangibilities and vice versa. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for taking the time today to join me on the Fact Up podcast. I, I sincerely hope that 12 years becomes 24 and that we uh. can celebrate UNESCO uh, together on a national level and, of course, on an international level as well. Thanks so much, Jim. I really appreciate it and uh, relish the opportunity to talk to your audience and kind of celebrate uh, what a beautiful place this is. So thank you so much. Truly. And and for those listening and watching, please make your way over to Saskatoon uh, and and there's direct flights all over the place <laughs> and it's yeah. just north. You you will have your life changed and it, it will be one of those experiences that you'll go home and you'll still be smiling about. And you won't even realize why, but you'll be doing it. That's very kind of you. Thanks so much, Jim. Take care, Andrew. You too. Take care. Bye-bye.